Live from WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Monday, October 10th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, those research opportunities you keep hearing about, abortion bans across the U.S., and a spooky new finding in Skittles, plus a brand new episode of The B-List. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to tonight's edition of WNUR News, brought to you by the news team's favorite redheads. In Campus Local tonight, it seems like there's a research opportunity lurking behind every door on this campus. WNUR News' Sarah Cadora went looking for him. What the heck is research? Northwestern proudly declares itself a research institution. And from the minute I stepped foot on campus as an undergrad, it seemed like this research thing was an opportunity I would be silly to pass up. Want to go to grad school? Get your research published. Don't have an internship lined up for the summer? Get an undergraduate research grant. Don't know how to do research? Learn as a research assistant under a professor. Over-caffeinated representatives from the Office of Undergraduate Research were frequent visitors to first-year classes. In the five or ten minutes they were allotted, they breathlessly tried to explain what all these options meant, and somehow left me more fuzzy on the idea of research than when they started. So I talked to some undergraduate researchers. Hello, I'm Cade Kelly. I'm a fourth-year student studying biology and chemistry. I'm in a molecular biosciences lab, which means I do a lot of wet lab work, all that bench work, pipetting and all that, in addition to computational work. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, my research is science My name is Milena Otero. I'm a fourth year graduating now. I work in the Lifespan Development Lab. It's in CESPI. Essentially, I look at the effect of positivity resonance on well-being, specifically loneliness and friendship quality in young adult friendships. The easiest way to explain that is that it's like social connections. So like moments of social connection between two people, we essentially measure those moments of connection and see if that has an effect on someone's well-being. Kelly and Otero both work in labs where professors got funding to hire student researchers for large multi-year projects. Jonathan Vandaloo, also a fourth year, went a more independent route, applying for funding himself to work on a summer project. Yes, what I did over the summer was funded through the Summer Undergraduate Research Grant. New creative output, I have 30 pages of a play. Um, it's a theatrical play, theatrical experience, titled Dom Top. The grant was to research the connection between internalized homophobia and the fetishization of hypermasculine bodies in the queer community. I feel like when I hear the word research, I think problem solving. I've learned a lot about like communication skills, um, and collaboration through research? Yeah, I would say research for me, and in terms of how I write creatively, research is like the foundation that the world of the play gets built on. So I wanted to write a play that talks about a queer friend group, but also queer relationships to provide a bit of catharsis around these themes without kind of hitting people over the head with academic language. And then the other idea that we could do something positive with that research, and that we can make people's lives better, every day to, like day-to-day lives better. Professor Patty Lowe is a researcher and teacher in the Medill School of Journalism. 
Um, my Ojibwe name is Waswa Kanokwe. It translates to Torchlight on the Water Woman. I'm a citizen of Mashkazibi, the Bad River Band of Lake Superior Ojibwe. And As a journalist, a documentarian, and a professor, her research on food sovereignty in indigenous communities doesn't live in a lab or even a Google Doc. Last weekend, I was lucky to interview Professor Lowe while our class was picking corn a few hours north, near Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. We're on the Oneida Reservation right now, working with the White Corn Cooperative on a service learning project that, to me, kind of epitomizes what I think good academic um, relationships with Indigenous communities are, because it's part of a class I'm teaching, but it also is the kind of outreach that I do. So teaching, research, outreach, all intertwined in one experience is the kind of academic relationship I want to have with Indigenous communities. I think research starts with listening, forming relationships, understanding the subject you're researching in a way that's honest, respectful, reciprocal, and what this experience has was intended to do was to provide a context for Native America, for researchers, whether they're journalistic researchers or whether they're environmental policy researchers. Um, this is where it starts with one-on-one -on -one experiences in the field. Sure. In this case, literally, in a cornfield. <laughs> That's a great note to end on. For WNUR News, I'm Sarah Cadora. Another campus local story for you tonight. Last spring, reporter Iris Swarthout covered the Supreme Court's premature leak of the Roe v. Wade decision. Now that this legislation has been overturned, we hear from her about states currently banning the procedure. Up now. Well, Missouri is one of the first states in the nation to ban abortions following the Supreme Court's decision. Oklahoma now home to the strictest abortion law in the country. And now that the issue is in the hands of states to decide, what does this mean for Ohio? Content warning. This package contains mentions of rape. You showed me love as of June 24th of this year, abortion is no longer guaranteed for women across the United States. The overturn of Roe v. Wade gave abortion legality to state jurisdictions, leading to an outcry from pro-choice supporters around the country. Abortion will not end. It will just become dangerous for women to have access to this. And um, it's honestly a very difficult time. It's disheartening. WNUR covered the premature Supreme Court decision leak back in May of this year, prompting a discussion on the initial formation of Roe v. Wade's decision. Along with gradually restrictive measures enforced by the state of Texas in both 2020 and 2021. Today, we hear from Weinberg sophomore Marianne Cano a former resident of three states where abortion is either banned or restricted, Ohio, Arkansas, and Texas. Cano moved around growing up due to the circumstances of her father's job, 
in all three states, she said, she felt growing tensions between her and her community as a Hispanic woman who later adopted a pro-choice ideology, Cano was largely a minority amongst her peers. But conservatives in Cincinnati, Ohio, she said, were less upfront about their opinions. And in Bentonville, Arkansas, she spent most of her time indoors, shielded from the pandemic. It was in Dallas, Texas, Cano said, when community divisiveness reached a tipping point. Some people would post on their Instagram stories like, this is horrible what's happening, we have to put into it. And some people would post on the other end, oh, we're celebrating, like this is such a great day. Um, you know, abortion is getting rolled out. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, Texas's set of trigger laws, which depended on the denationalization of abortion legislation to enter into effect, were activated. On August 25th, abortion was officially outlawed in Texas. According to the Texas Tribune, violations of the Texas trigger law can result in life imprisonment and civil penalties no less than $100,000, excluding attorney's fees. Over 14 million women, or half the population of Texas, lost their legal right to abortion on this day. But this decision was a predictable one, according to Cano. Texas Governor Greg Abbott enforced a 2020 executive order suspending abortion services in Texas in the name of COVID-19 pandemic safety leading to a large amount of discourse among Cano's high school peers. Still, Cano said abortion was never inherently accessible to women throughout the state in the years leading up to the 2020 executive order. I mean, I knew it was strict in Texas. Like, you know, in, I had heard at the time, like, it's not, obviously it's not unconstitutional right now. So you could hypothetically go out and get an abortion. Like, of course, pre like Roe v. Wade um, being overturned, that was kind of the thought, like you could hypothetically get one. But the thing was, there was not a singular provider in Texas that would provide one. Rather, it was for, they were scared for their own safety. Like, you know, this, like the doctors would be putting themselves in harm's way of like angry Texans or whether it was um, just the way that their own cities would react, own city like government would force them to, you know, like oust themselves. The Washington Post stated that one in three American women have lost abortion access as of August 22, 2022. As of late September, 14 states have complete bans on abortion during any state of pregnancy. According to a graphic published by the New York Times, Georgia is currently the only state with a six-week pregnancy ban, and North Carolina, Florida, and Utah have abortion bans after 15 weeks. Nine states currently have abortion bans blocked in their legislatures, signaling the risk of impending abortion restrictions within the near future. Although Cano left Ohio in the middle of her eighth grade year, she is still in touch with friends from the state. Many Ohioans, she said, were enraged by the rape case of a 10-year-old girl who, after impregnation, 
was forced to cross state lines into Indiana to receive an abortion. That's the case of rape. This girl was 10 years old and she's not permitted like this very necessary procedure. Like, you know, that set off a lot of anger in Ohioans and I think just across the country because, you know, you don't, you don't even need, you shouldn't need an extreme case to get an abortion. But even though she definitely had one, she wasn't granted that, like, that access. Since Cano has lived in conservative areas for most of her life, she said she would survive if she had to again, especially if she had the resources to traverse state boundaries to obtain an accessible abortion. But for many, that's just not possible. So I have a friend, she goes here actually, she's a close friend of mine. She's from, um, oh, she's from Oklahoma. And, um, like, I don't, I, I don't know their exact laws. I, I don't, I'm not from Oklahoma, but I imagine they're strict. And she doesn't really have, like, the means to leave Oklahoma, other than, like, college. But, you know, she's probably going to go back to Oklahoma once she graduates. And um, it's just kind of like a feeling of, like, I want out. From WNUR News, I'm Iris Swarthout. And out there in oddities, toxic candy. It seems like a headline straight out of a movie, or at least a bad tabloid. And yet a California man is suing the manufacturers of Skittles. He's claiming that they contain a chemical that is unfit for human consumption. Brendan Prizman has more. The official slogan of Skittles is, Taste the Rainbow. But that may not be the only thing that consumers of the popular multicolored candy are tasting. At least, that's what a California man is claiming in a lawsuit against Mars, the manufacturer of Skittles. Janiel Thames claims in his lawsuit that Skittles contain a known toxin that is unfit for human consumption. The ingredient Thames' lawsuit focuses on is titanium dioxide, which is currently legal in the United States and is used to add color to Skittles. While Mars claims that titanium dioxide is common and used in many industries and in everyday products, not everyone agrees with them. The European Food Safety Authority reported in 2021 that titanium dioxide could no longer be considered safe as a food additive, saying that the chemical may have the potential to cause damage to DNA. The European Commission followed up this report by banning the use of the chemical as a food additive in August of this year most likely because of worries about buildup in the body. Some international nonprofits have even begun preparing a petition, which would serve as a legal way of asking the American Food and Drug Administration to review the safety of titanium dioxide as a food additive. The FDA has not yet banned the chemical, mostly because there are several conditions that must be met before the chemical can be placed in food in the first place. The biggest requirement being that the amount of titanium dioxide cannot exceed 1% of the food's weight. It is currently used in many foods, including chewing gum, baked goods, salad dressings, dairy products, and more. While the European Union has banned the use of titanium dioxide in food for the reasons mentioned previously, neither Great Britain nor Canada have banned the chemical in food. While there have been several studies done on the chemical, the research is inconclusive on whether or not consumption of titanium dioxide should be limited. Mars did promise to begin phasing out the chemical in 2016, but judging by the lawsuit, they haven't done a very good job. Skittles could still be made without titanium dioxide, but other candies such as Starburst contain the chemical as well. 
perhaps one of the biggest reasons Mars has not yet taken concrete action, is that it's still unclear if concrete action is needed. There have not yet been studies on titanium dioxide's effects on humans due to ethical concerns, and even the studies that have involved humans have not been able to give definite answers. The official poison control website does note that in a study of nine volunteers, no adverse effects were noted in any of the study subjects, and that very little titanium dioxide was absorbed. The website also states that most consumed titanium dioxide will end up excreted through the feces. So what should we do about titanium dioxide? Aside from food items, it's also used in many commercial products and personal care items, which include makeup, sunscreen, toothpaste, paint, and paper. It can enhance the color white, which explains why it is so common in products like coffee creamer. One thing that some experts want people to be aware of is the fact that the European Food Safety Authority did not explicitly say that titanium dioxide will damage DNA, but that the group could not rule out the possibility of DNA damage. Others have also pointed out that most categorizations of titanium dioxide as toxic rely on animal studies in which rats were given very high doses of titanium dioxide. Perhaps the best way to go about staying healthy and safe in regards to titanium dioxide is the same way to stay safe with other food items. Moderation. Even without the chemical, Skittles would still contain plenty of sugar and artificial colors and would be nowhere close to healthy. Dr. Taylor Wallace said in an interview with VeryWellHealth.com that everything is toxic. The dose is what matters. So in the end, Skittles may not be problematic at all. And the only problem with them, one I certainly have, is eating too much. For WNUR News, I'm Brendan Preisman. And now it's time for the B-List, WNUR News' weekly pop culture roundup. Emily Tiatonio has more. Welcome to the B-List, your weekly roundup of celebrity mess and pop culture. This week, a war brewed on the internet with all expressing their grievances. Kanye West, known for having bipolar disorder, is publicly going through a manic episode. During Paris' fashion week, West scrapped his Yeezy show for something more comedic, as he says. Candace Owens, a right-wing commentator, and others strutted the runway with White Lives Matter t-shirts. He then went on to Tucker Carlson's show, which is also known for its conservatism, where he spewed conspiracy theories about the Uvalade school massacre, saying they had already known beforehand. During the same interview, he also spoke on Lizzo's weight, saying they are promoting unhealthy standards. To top it off, West went on an anti-Semitic tirade where he posted screenshots on Instagram explaining that Sean Diddy Combs is controlled by shadowy Jewish people. The next day, he posted an anti-Semitic tweet saying he would go DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. He has now been locked out from both his Twitter and Instagram accounts. Lines have been drawn on Twitter where some are excusing his actions because of his mental illness and others saying that mental illness cannot change someone so drastically. On the other side of the social media world, a convention ran by the streaming platform Twitch has been in its own rocky waters. A foam pit was deemed to be way too shallow, causing many people to be hurt. One notable person was Adriana Chechik, who broke her back in two different places from jumping into the pit. On some good news, the new trailer for Wednesday, a series centered around the infamous Adams Family, dropped, which has gotten many excited. The series will premiere on November 23rd. That's all for the B-List this week. Check in next Monday to hear about what happens this week in pop culture. For WNUR News, I'm Emily Teotonio.
Now, a look at the weather. Right now, it's 61 degrees Fahrenheit with sunny skies and a 7 miles per hour wind. Tonight, you can expect clear skies and a low of 53 degrees. Tomorrow, we'll see a high of 70 degrees with partly cloudy skies and showers later in the day with a low of 58 at night. There is a small craft advisory in effect from 1 p.m. tomorrow until 4 p.m. Wednesday. Wednesday, we'll see temperatures range from the mid-60s to the mid-40s with some light rain and clouds. Clouds will continue, but temperatures will lower coming into Thursday with a high of 55 and a low of 38 on Thursday night. Friday will bring temperatures in the 40s and 50s with partly cloudy skies and winds up to 20 miles per hour. And taking a look at today's headlines. The Northwestern Wildcats struggled to find their footing this weekend. They lost 42-7 against Wisconsin for Saturday's homecoming matchup. The Cats now enter their bye week on a five-game losing streak. The City of Evanston released their 2022 E-Plan, or Evanston Project for the Local Assessment of Needs. It's completed every three years and usually describes only individual health behaviors and outcomes. But this year, the E-Plan analyzed how systemic factors in the city restrict individual options. This year's E-Plan shows that the historical practice of redlining in Evanston still negatively affects black and brown residents' health today. Residents in these redlined wards are more likely to have a lower life expectancy than those in other wards. The president of the Los Angeles City Council resigned today after she was heard making racist comments in a leaked conversation. Nuri Martinez issued an apology today. She expressed shame and announced that she would step down as president effective immediately. She did not say whether she was also resigning her council seat. Alex O'Connor, the singer known as Rex Orange County, has been charged with six counts of sexual assault. The charges allegedly stem from a string of incidents in June of this year. O'Connor appeared at Southwark Crown Court in London today. He pleaded not guilty and was released on unconditional bail. His trial is scheduled to begin January 3, 2023. Russia unleashed its biggest assault in Ukraine in months. The attacks targeted multiple cities, destroying buildings and cars, as well as damaging water and power lines. 14 people died, and Ukraine's emergency service says nearly 100 were wounded. It is believed that Russia was retaliating against a purported Ukrainian attack on Russia's only bridge to Crimea. And today is National Indigenous Peoples Day, which honors indigenous cultures. Northwestern's campus sits on the homeland of the people of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Potawatomi, and Odawa, as well as the Menominee, Miami, and Ho-Chunk Nations. We encourage listeners to seek out further information on the significance of this day. Visit the Northwestern Center for Native and Indigenous Research's website at cnair.northwestern.edu. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our website, wnurnews.org. That's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Zach McCrary, and our reporters are Sarah Cadora, Ira Swartha, uh, Brendan Prizman, and Emily Tiatonio. From all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. Thanks for listening. Catch our next newscast on Wednesday, October 12th at 6 p.m. 
Now back to scheduled programming. 